This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello there and welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin, as always. No guests for you today, but we've got plenty to pack into the show. We'll talk about the incident in San Diego. We'll talk about a trade for Minnesota United, as well as preview the next opponent's FC Cincinnati. But first, Kindred D. St. Aubin, nil-nil against Real Salt Lake. Um, no doubt about it, we said it multiple times on our television broadcast that there was a sense of missed opportunity. So many efforts forthcoming from Minnesota United um, against RSL. Andrew Putner, the goalkeeper for the opponents, seemed to have an inspired performance. I get the feeling if they were playing on the field now, they still wouldn't have scored. It's just one of those games that you've just got to push aside and say, it simply wasn't our evening. Well, I think that's what you can hope for because they did. They created the chances. I thought the second half for Minnesota United was even heads and tails above the first half um, as far as uh, quality of chances that were created, what they did going forward, um, the combination play, and it was a more meaningful, purposeful possession in the final third to create the chances and the opportunity even win some fouls that were some, you know, created some dangerous set pieces and, and chances. So you hope that you can push this aside and that this isn't going to become a thing where you have the possession, you have the chances, and you just can't finish. And I'm hoping that it was just a, a that kind of a night against Real Salt Lake, and now you welcome an FC Cincinnati team in here who has its own struggles, and we'll get to that. But from just a Minnesota United loons perspective, it, it felt like everything was clicking in the second half and the opportunities created were fast and furious. And um, yeah, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated that you didn't put one away, but Putna was fantastic. I mean, you cannot take anything away from him on the night and you've got to feel good chances created, but ultimately everybody knows, it, you know, you got to put the ball in the back of the net. So um, we'll see what happens this week and yeah, turn the page, feel good about your chances created, look back at the tape and see what you did to get those chances. But now how do you finish them? They seem to do just about everything right up until the final thirds. Um, Reynoso, again, gave us a little glimpse of what he can offer. Could have, maybe should have, scored his first Minnesota United goal, no? Yeah, I mean, he could have had two or three, it felt like. You know, I mean, not just in the run of play, but also with that really nice set piece that he had. Um, and if, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, Putnam got his hand on that one and steered it clear of the goal. So I think, you know, and with a goal scorer like that, with a player like Reynoso, he needs to get a goal sooner rather than later, because I just think it will lift the weight off his shoulders. He feels the pressure. And I know he played for Boga Juniors. I know mm. he felt pressure of the club, of the city, of the town, of, you know, I mean, the way it is, the soccer culture is there. But here, you know, he is pegged to be the man. He is the multi-million dollar man. And, and the club has spent a lot of money on him. And he's looked fantastic in every asset, every aspect of the game. He's created. He's defended. He's a workhorse. He's a good personality. You can see the competitive nature of him. He can do the final pass. He can do set pieces. Now he just has to put one away. And I, I'm saying that more for him than anybody because I do think it will lift a, a sense off his shoulders. It will kind of release that monkey on your back that you feel like you have, almost like a Robin Lud did, even though they're not equivalent players in dollar amounts. Like, you know, there's pressure that can mount. And Reynoso looked really good in that match. He just missing the goal. And, uh, I think, you know, he deserves to be on the score sheet, not just in the assist column. I thought they really missed Kevin Molino in the game. I think had they have been in that, what is 
now, I think, safe to say, a traditional Minnesotan 4-2-3-1. I get the feeling Molina would have added a lot more. You know, and I just think... I just feel I scratch my head sometimes, you know, I just feel like it's a conundrum because we talk about how good Kevin Molino is. I mean, could literally be one of the top players in this league for sure, hands down. You see the skill and the calmness and the, you know, the patience on the ball and his ability to just slow the game down and work in tight spaces, combine, create all those things. And now he's got Reynoso who could sit alongside of him and him and Robin Lode as they interchange and really find those gaps. And we saw that ticky tack stuff that Adrian has talked about has been so fun to watch, even in training. But I just scratch my head because he just can't stay healthy. It feels like one or two games on, one or two games off. One or two games on, one or two games off. And I'm not talking ACLs. I mean, we all understand that. That's a whole nother level. You can't do anything about that. But the soft tissue injuries that he has dealt with for a majority of his career, I would just love to see a stretch of games where Kevin Molino is healthy. I know these games are coming close together. It's a lot of work. They've been doing a lot of running. There's been crazy times, crazy conditions. Soft tissue muscle injuries are probably even harder to deal with when you're flying in on the day of a game for some of these road trips. You've been sitting on a plane for a couple hours. But, you know, I would love to see a stretch where Kevin Molino is healthy, fully fit, and they can have him in the run of play and in the lineup with this group because we started to see it with Robin and Renoso, and I'd love to see it more. I think out of the, the three first-choice players that, that play behind the centre-forward, which at the moment is Kai Kamara, um, for me, Molino probably plays the best off of a big man as well. So again, I, I just think Minnesota really missed Kevin Molino. Talking of Kai Kamara, I, I asked you on the broadcast, perhaps a little unfairly at, at the time, but now that you've had a chance to assess, how do Minnesota get Kai Kamara more involved? Because it, it wasn't... Um, it, it wasn't a great evening for Kai Kamara, who, who didn't have a lot of service, in all fairness, to him. How does someone like that get themselves more involved? How do the players behind him get him more involved? Well, I think there's two things for me there. First of all, I don't want Minnesota to... And I, and I understand that Adrian Heath, his system lends itself oftentimes to a player like Kai Kamara. The service on the wings, the, you know, up, back, and through, the getting it out wide, the beating you know, opponents 2v1 down the sidelines and then serving the ball in. Like, you know, Adrian Heath likes to create those odd numbers, those numbers up situations on the wing spaces, serve the ball in. And we've seen that in years past when there were no other options up top. There was no creativity necessarily coming out of the middle that we were having to serve the ball 20, 30 times a game and no one was on the end of it to finish. Well, now you have someone on the end of it to finish. And fortunately for Kai Kamara and for the rest of Minnesota United, you have a player like Roma Metzenier and like Chase Gasper and even others who find themselves in those spaces. I mean, Jan Gregus could do that. Um, you know, Robin Lude curled that ball and now it was to feet, but the one that Kevin Molina got hurt on from the left-hand side. Now, if that service comes in the air and Kai Kamara is running onto it, that's a goal. So I think it's a combination of continuing to get the ball out wide, changing your angles of where the services are coming from. But I think it has to come quicker in the run of play. I don't think it necessarily has to be where you're in the final third, you're doing all the passing, everybody defensively is set up in the box, and then you're trying to serve it into Kai Kamara. That doesn't mean that Kai Kamara can't get to the ball. I mean, we all know he has the ability to – the timing – the ability to jump, the ability to kind of come off, you know, kind of like a Wondolowski where he kind of drifts off the defender, the defender loses him for a half second, and then he comes and just buries it. So Kai can do that. But I think when it's, 
more in a transition or more in the speed of play and it's coming in when the defense hasn't had time to find Kai Kamara, put two players on him and stand there and hold firm and the goalkeeper can come out and punch it. But the other aspect I do think will actually help Kai Kamara find the game and the game find Kai Kamara is if Minnesota doesn't completely abandon the possession through the middle of the pitch and the combination and interchanging that you see with Robin Lud, Emmanuel Reynoso, Kevin Molino, Ethan Finley, whoever is in there, that combination play, that ticky-tack play where you're working through the middle, you're getting a shot off, you're in tight spaces, because that will that will free up then the wings to allow the overlapping run. So then you have some variety in the attack. It's not just coming one-dimensional. It's not just ball in after ball in after ball in, and the defense can sit back and just mark Kai Kamara. This can be a combination of multiple threats attacking-wise that keeps the defense guessing. So I think if Minnesota United doesn't go, you know, oh man, Kai Kamara's in here. We got to serve it. We got to serve it. Got to serve it. You can't look there first every time. It's got to be some variety, some creativity. Um, you know, you got to mix it up, keep the defense guessing. And I, I, I didn't think Kai did as well as I expected him to in the holdup play. There were a couple times, you know, trying to release the long ball and, you know, credit to the center backs. I mean, Marcelo Silva was fantastic in that yes. match um, right on Kai's back and, and prevented him from being able to hold the ball up at midfield. But, you know, I think, and, and Kai knows that. You could see how frustrated he got with himself when he didn't hold the ball up and keep possession and allow his teammates to get out. So that's the other way I think that they'll continue to get him involved. They serve that ball up. He holds it up. The runners come underneath or on the wings. He finds them. Maybe you do a one-two on the outside, and you get in that final third of the field. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, I can't put a judgment on Kai Kamara yet because we know his, what history has proven from a goal-scoring perspective. Yes. He is a little bit older. He may be a half a step slower, so I'm not expecting him to get in behind and, you know, necessarily outrace anybody in a foot race, but he's smart enough, wise enough, uh, enough experience that he will find his goals if Minnesota United can find him and keep doing what they've been doing while the last few games with Reynoso and doing some of that possession play underneath. I think it'll take a little time as well for things to become natural as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The question is how much time do they have because Minnesota were fortunate enough to have the rest of the schedule given to them uh, a few days ago, as were the rest of Major League Soccer. And the one thing that was glaring to us anyway, Kendra, is that Minnesota now have a decent amount of home games ahead of them. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, and again, I think I might have said this on the broadcast, I can't remember, but um, there is almost an NFL NFL feel to, to this season now because... Every game seems to matter so much more, and there's only a handful of games remaining, just six weeks remaining for Minnesota United. I guess, I guess it'll be five weeks by the time this, this podcast gets out. Um, so there is more emphasis on, on games, no doubt, but particularly the home games moving forward. I, I love that aspect of it. I mean, they're, they're, it, it is that NFL feel and the pressure on every game, and that's the same argument why people have been making even about baseball. You know, 162 games, half the games don't feel like they mean anything, and same with NBA, whereas, you know, now you, you tighten that schedule up, you cut it down, and you know you have limited time at home and just limited time in general to get your mission accomplished, to stay above that line in the standings. There isn't this situation where you're like, oh, man, we still got this many games left. You know, we dropped below the line, but we got time to climb out of it, look at our upcoming schedule. 
there is none of that. This there is a sense of urgency in every match, in every week of preparation, and every two or three days of preparation. If you're p- playing on a short week, like Minnesota is supposed to this week, Saturday, Tuesday. I mean, there there's no time to sit on your laurels and think next game we'll get it, guys. Next game we'll get it. Next team will come out and finish those chances. Next team will create more chances. Next time we'll come up with that big defensive stop. As much as you don't want to say, you know put the kind of pressure on it. And we've heard people say this before, right? It's a must win game at home, must win game at home. I'm saying this with every sport. Then what happens when you don't win that game? Mm. Then what do you say? You know what I mean? Like, so you want to go in with that sense of urgency and that feeling of pressure, but also understanding that like, you know, you just got to find a way to get it done. You don't want to tell people like, well, well, if we don't win this game, then we're done. You know, like, you, yes, you got to get the points at home. You must get the points at home. Or I should say you have to get the points at home because it does make a big difference even without the fans. But I do think that teams are really starting to realize that not traveling the day of a game and being home is a huge benefit. That is a massive challenge regardless of the climate you're going to. And um, Adrian Heath has said, you know, and wished and willed and you know, nearly begged for home games because of the lack of them on their schedule thus far. And you wait until the second half of the season to give a team home games. Well, what if they were already too far down the table to make up that? You're mm-hmm. looking, you know, and, and Cincinnati's in a very similar position. I think they've had four home games the whole season. They've been in New York four times the last month because of the three different teams that are playing at mm-hmm. Red Bull Stadium. So everyone's dealing with their own challenges, but this is the opportunity for Minnesota United and Adrian Heath and his club to take these points and run with it. And especially even some of the road games, look at the opposition. I mean, a little mouthwatering in the sense that anybody can beat anybody on any given day in this league, as we just saw San Jose beat IFC. I don't know what happened there, but nonetheless, and this is the chance these guys, Minnesota United, they should be, absolutely drooling at the opportunity of FC Cincinnati at home on Saturday. Yeah, we'll talk more about FC Cincinnati in the second segment for sure. For now, though, Minnesota United moving on, Kendra, and moving on without Mason Toy. Traded to Montreal Impact. To our knowledge, it's around about $600,000 in general allocation money as well as a second-round draft pick. What are your instant thoughts when you saw this deal went through? I think this is a good move for Mason Toy. In the sense that I think he needed a change of scenery. It was a time, you know, I mean, you know, it, it sometimes it just becomes where the writing is on the wall. And, um, you know, he had a good couple games last year. What did he score? Six, six goals in 2019, you know, brought up to the U23. So he had moments and flashes where he could do things. But the consistency wasn't quite there yet. And then you bring in Luisa Maria. And as a young player, you're going, what the heck? I thought, you know, Andre Rodriguez is gone. These other players are gone. Why am I not becoming starting not number nine? Now you bring a big money, solid player like Luisa Maria in the mix. And then um, then you bring Kai Kamara in. You bring Aaron Schoenfeld in. And um, as a young player who's still trying to kind of find his way, I think that's that's hard to take. And I've listened to other interviews with other players about young players, about the ups and the downs and watching other players be brought in, especially in that number nine role, which is where everybody, every team spends their money. Um, the, the mental and emotional challenge. Let's just forget about the actual soccer skill challenge of it. But um, being able to bring it every day. And I think that this could be a really good move for Mason Toy. I think it's a good move for Minnesota United in the sense that it 
it was time to move on. They had already kind of moved on him, you know, on from him in a sense because of bringing in these other acquisitions. And it will give him maybe an opportunity to play under Thierry Henry. Who knows what Thierry Henry can do with him? I've, I believe reading in an article a long time ago that he's a player that Mason Toy had kind of idolized, especially yes. when he was with the Red Bulls and growing up there. And, I mean, who doesn't, you know, probably as a striker, look at, at Thierry Henry and what his career has done. They clearly see something, an, a need, and he fills it and hopes to fill it. I think it's a good win. I think it's a win-win for both parties. And we'll see what he does. We'll see what he does um, at the next in the next chapter of his life. But, you know, you can't thank him enough for his uh, willingness to work and put in the extra time and his personality, always doing the interviews. You know, I've done a couple features with him and stuff. So young player, and we'll see what happens when he moves on. I mean, a good bit of business in the sense of what you got for him. I was just about to ask, in terms of the, the timing of it as well, mm-hmm. um, I wonder, in this league, in Major League Soccer, was his value ever going to be any higher? Uh, not in the current situation. Mm. I mean, we'll see what, if he goes to Montreal and lights it up. I mean, sure, are you sure. talking two years from now? Could his value be higher? I mean, maybe. That's mm-hmm. a pretty ridiculous number. 600000 or whatever is being reported. Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, it's a good bit of business. But, you know, sometimes what a player is worth to you is not what a player is worth to someone else. Sure. And so that works out in Minnesota's favor, if this is the case, right? I mean, if you can get that kind of money for a player that you're willing to give up, then that's that's not too shabby. And Montreal must think that, you know, that they value him at that that dollar amount. So, yeah. you know, so much of it, I think, is just to be determined because he is only 21, which I understand in other leagues is not young, but here it is young. And he played in college for a year and, um, you know, let's let's I hope for his sake that something starts to click. You know, in physically, mentally, emotionally, all those things. I hope something starts to click for him because I do think he wants to put in the work and he wants to learn and something just wasn't quite clicking for him. And he saw players continually brought in ahead of him, which happens to a lot of people. It's not like Mason Toy is the only one. You know, I mean, Jeremy Obobese has talked about that time and time again in Portland and he was a one of the top picks in 2017, but playing in T2 and watching guys, big money players be brought in ahead of him and sort of, and look at now he's finally kind of getting a chance. So we'll see what happens. He's, he's got time. Mm. And this is the, the thing about it as well. Kate. I, I, I wonder as well. Um, there was, there was so many times, there was so many times with Mason toy when, when he, he got the ball at feet and turned and ran at, at opposing defenders, and you thought, oh, great, here, something's going to happen. You know, the, there's a player in there somewhere. There's, the, there's no doubt that he has talents. Mm-hmm. The issue that I think a lot of people had with him was, was what, he, what he didn't do. Mm-hmm. And the, the issue was off the ball. And I, I think that's something that Mason Toy struggled with. Again, you and I, not much this year because of COVID, but we're fortunate to have watched him in training a lot. And the one thing I always remember was, was, was the coaching staff trying to explain what I would consider the basic stuff, little things like covering your, your nearest uh, uh, defender, for example, when, when Minnesota have the ball, uh, when they don't have the ball, sorry. And then things like, um, th- there was one game, I can't remember which one it was, but it became a regularity in training and Adrian Heath was screaming at Mason Toy, trying to get him to understand, you know, I think the ball came down the right-hand side and Mason Toy ran towards the defender and ran towards the ball when in actual fact, we've seen multiple occasions in, in so many different leagues across the world, when you actually pull away from the defender, that, that actually offers you more um, as a team and, and, and as a player. And it's just those little things that, that I think Mason Toy struggled to, to deal with. 
in, in your opinion now, why? Why did the coaching staff decide that now was the right time to do it? And why did they decide to do this trade at all? Well, I think that, you know, what you said exactly, we, we did see that time and time again and um, at training. Um, and so we always felt like it wasn't for lack of trying right. because he would put in the extra time, the extra work. He, I mean, most times they had to call him off the field afterwards from working with Ian or doing finishing drills because, you know, they just wanted him to not overdo it, right? But for some reason, it just wasn't clicking and it wasn't coming natural to him. And not to say that there aren't players in, in this league and in this sport that do have to work, that everything doesn't come naturally. I mean, it's a special gift if talent-wise it comes naturally and mentally-wise it comes naturally. It's the kind of that just there are some people, how many times growing up and, and in your profession have you just said, that, that guy gets it. That mm. player, that woman, whoever it is, gets it. They read the game. They're always one step ahead, whether it's a run or a pass. Like, they just have a different flow and a sense about him. I think Mason Toy had to work really hard at it. And by the end of it, he was so crossed up and overthinking because do I check, do I run to the near post? Because right. Adrian also always says to these guys, you'll you'll make a living running to the near post, right? And getting in front of the goalkeeper and getting in front of the d defender when the ball is deep and it gets served in. You'll make a living scoring goals that way. But at the same time, you have to be able to read the game and decide when do I not do the near post run? When do I come off the shoulder? When do I find myself in space? And I just think by the end of it, he was so mixed up and crossed up in his own head that the game was not coming natural at all. Whatever had been coming natural wasn't anymore. And it just gets to a point where mentally and emotionally that it's time to move on because physically it's not working anymore. There's a disconnect there. And I think the coaching staff felt like they could make this move at this time because they acquired Kai Kamara because they still have owned, you know, Schoenfeld healthy and uh, coming off the bench. You do have a Reynoso now sitting in the number 10 who can also push forward. There's some, there's some, you know, versatility and, and some choices and, and depending on the Luis Amaria situation. So I think that they felt like this was, a, if they hadn't gotten Kai Kamara, I don't know if they would have, you know, traded Mason Toy mm. because again it's about moving pieces about options it's about availability and depth of your roster but I agree with you in that it just felt like he was fighting himself you know and it wasn't for lack of trying it wasn't for lack of wanting and willing to be coached just it wasn't happening and we'll see what happens in Montreal who the heck knows and maybe they maybe it's maybe it's depends on who's playing under him alongside of him I mean I don't know it's I don't want to I'm not going to make excuses because there were plenty of quality players that played alongside and underneath Mason Toy but we'll see what happens and maybe how many times have we seen players in every sport they just go somewhere else and for some reason they just needed a change of scenery yeah. nothing could be different maybe the coaching maybe they're saying the same things to him in Montreal maybe it's the same kind of players underneath them but you just sometimes need to change the scenery and maybe that's the case with Mason Toy. He's young. He's still got a bright future. We'll see if he gets in the mix, even, you know, for the, the youth national teams, the men's national teams um, in the future. We'll see. But we know that he's got some quality in there. Can he just put all the pieces together? And that's, that's what makes players great, is if you can put them all together. Yeah, and I think, just finally, before we go to break, it, it, does it not emphasize the want and the lust for success now from Minnesota? Because... There was 
for what seemed like his entire time here, it seemed like Mason Toy was perhaps best identified as a project. And it now seems as though the Minnesota United coaching staff and the technical director and all these people making these decisions probably said, right, well, he can be someone else's project because we, we now need success right now. My, my point here, Kendra, is is do we, probably not in in the next week or so, but but do we expect a body to come in to replace Mason Toy in a sense of, of depth? Um, you know, I would say probably not. Mm. I do think they have a sense of urgency, and this is a sense of now, and they did bring in Kai Kamar for that purpose yes. of a veteran attacking player um, who knows how to win in this league and knows what it takes to win in this league. And same with, you know, Reynoso, clearly not familiar with the league, but that quality of a player. You've brought in some pretty stunning pieces, I think, that will help this team now, and you're assuming that you're going to get Ethan Finley back healthy. You're assuming that Kevin Molino is going to be able to stay healthy for a period of time, and Rob and Lord is going to stay on the pitch and maybe get Ozzy Alonso back in the fold. I mean, who knows the deal with Icopara? And I'm not sure what the status is currently on Luisa Maria. But I would assume and I would think that they are not going to bring an additional attacking piece in right now and they're going to go forward with what they have. I mean, how many games do we have left? Uh, Nine. Nine games? Nine games? Possibly. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> Somebody asked me yesterday what day it was, and I was like, I have no idea. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I think that this, this time you have to start to go with what you got because you do see, need to have some cohesiveness and chemistry within that group. Kai's getting worked in the fold. Schoenfeld's back in the mix. You have other players that can rotate up top. Um, we'll see what Luis's status is. But at some point you do have to kind of start moving forward with, with what you want to go forward with. Nine games, you need some chemistry, some cohesiveness. And um, knock on wood, hope that, you know, no more major injuries occur. But I, hopefully it's the best of both worlds for both parties. And, uh and Minnesota United can move on, and so can Mason Toy. Yeah, absolutely. I think from all of us here, uh, good luck to Mason Toy up in Montreal. Really intrigued to see what he can do under Thierry Omri. Right, stay with us. Still plenty more coming your way on the Match Preview podcast. Next up, it's all about US soccer headlines and FC Cincinnati after the break. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. Welcome again to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Auburn. Got our jackets on. The pumpkin spice coffee is starting to pour as well. It's that time of year, isn't it? Which I don't mind, actually. I love it. Um, right. So let's focus on something uh, which, which needs to be spoken about, Kindra. Um, for those of you listening unaware on... Uh, Wednesday evening, there was a USL playoff match between San Diego Loyal and the Phoenix Rising, which uh, the San Diego Loyal sides, in the end, decided to forfeit. They decided to do that because a player you will all know very well, Colin Martin, formerly of Minnesota United, now playing for San Diego Loyal, was the subject of a homophobic slur. And what happened was, when he was leaving the field... The two coaches came together, Landon Donovan of San Diego and um, Rick Shantz of Phoenix Rising, to discuss the situation. Um, and Landon Donovan essentially said to him, after seeing all the videos that I have seen, to my understanding, and again, for those of you that want to look into this more, by all means, it's on their uh, internet, it's out there on Twitter. Um, Landon Donovan essentially said, 
if the player who executed the homophobic slur is on the field in this second half, we are not going to play. That player remained on the field and Landon Donovan and his players said, our season's done, we are not playing. I, um, Kendra, I, I, I loved Landon Donovan, the player. I thought he was one of the best that this country has ever produced um, and I always admired him, always loved watching him. As a human being, I admire him even more now. I, I, I just um, could not be more proud to have someone like him in our sport in this country. Um, for him to say, it's, it's not right, it's unacceptable. A player, and certainly my player, should not have to deal with this. Should, this shouldn't be something that happens. Uh, I, I think is, is wonderful to see. Because things like this, things like this need to be challenged. People need to stand up and say something and not just, not just be okay with it. Um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't admire Landon Donovan anymore. I think what this also tells me is that it's a time where you're, everybody is supporting you. It's not Landon Donovan made the executive decision and made that statement, but I'm pretty sure he probably didn't make it without the support of his whole team. And that means that every player on that roster as a group, just like we've seen with a lot of the racial injustices that have currently been taking a place, you don't have to be black to feel that way to help, you know, to stand up and with and for your teammates. You don't have to be gay or a lesbian to have your teammates to stand up with your teammate. And I think that that is what is telling now about the times is that Everybody is supporting these situations. And if, if Phoenix Rising, and if, if the alleged comments are true, that happened on the field about Colin Martin, mm-hmm. and that really did happen, then it should also be on the Phoenix Rising players to go to their t- teammate who did that, who made that comment, and say, this is not right. You should not be saying this. Same if they were racial slurs. Same if they're you know, homophobic slurs. It doesn't matter. You have to be holding your teammates accountable when they're the ones doing the wrongdoing and as a coach and a staff and a team and a club. And then also lifting your teammates up and supporting everybody, not just from the manager's perspective, not just from Landon Donovan's perspective, but from the entirety of the club and the roster and that they all came together and said, this is the situation. We are all okay with it. We are not playing this game tonight. If that person is still on the field, because we support our teammate, we support the cause, we support the fight for equality and um, to, you know, to not have to be dealing with these things in a place that is supposed to be all inclusive and diverse, which is what soccer really touts itself as inclusive and diverse. You have to have both of those things. And, and I was, happy to see that that was the stance that they took. It's just unfortunate that we're in a position that you have to take that position. Yeah. I, I must admit as well, I was, I was quite surprised at Ricky Shantz as well, um, saying the things that he did. Again, the video is out there if you want to go and see it. Um, and it looks as if what he's saying to Landon Donovan is they're just playing soccer, which insinuates that it's, it's a part of the game, which to me is, is incorrect because if, if you're a part of something, it means it, you have been, it means the thing and you and whatever has been accepted into mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. So what Ricky Shantz is saying here is that these kind of phrases and slurs 
are accepted in soccer. And that, that's not true. That There's no place for this um, kind of, of comment. And I, I was surprised because I, I always thought, it was only last week Ricky Shantz had said something along the lines of, again, there's, there's no room for anything like this, you know, we're against racism, homophobia, or, or all this kind of stuff. And, and yet here he is, um, not... It seems though he wasn't understanding the situation. You know, I don't want to go and put any words in anybody's mouths, but I, I was just very surprised. And and now for me, Kendra, again, look, if all of this comes out that that it's it this has been the case and it's it's really true, and a player has said this to, to Colin Martin, um, I I would want to see USL really step in now and say. We, we can't have this. We, we simply can't have this. I know her statements aren't there already, which, again, you can go and, go and find on, on social media. But, um, I, look, I'll, I'll say this. I have no problem saying this. I, um, I would go as far as saying, for me, the Phoenix Rising, if I'm USL, I would disqualify them. I really would. And, and that, that might be harsh on... Um, the team or the player? The team. I, I would disqualify the team from the playoffs. And, as I say, look, I think it, people will view that as harsh because it was just one player making... A, a gross mistake um, but I think that's how you can really incentivize the, the point and really say there's no room for this we do not tolerate this and this will happen because surely then that will make people think twice about saying stuff like that if they know the team will be disqualified from the playoffs or something along those lines you know what I mean well and I think it goes back to the the conversation that we've had in the past I think I can't remember what example we were talking about earlier um, this year, but it was, you know, someone said something and we we're like, well, that for that phrase or that word to even roll off that person's tongue, it had to already be in right. their sort of vocabulary, in their sort of use of words of, you know, the way they speak on a daily basis. And I'm totally having a blank right now on what that was. I don't even know if it was soccer. But the point is, is that I think all these players and a lot of these players will do these PSAs and do these videos where hey, we're doing a, a special thing this week for, you know, LBGTQ or, mm. you know, like awareness, uh, gay pride, whatever, like what? let's film you saying this, that, or the other, right? I mean, we did that all the time, especially when Colin Martin was here. I mean, it was even more of a point of emphasis because he's such an amazing ambassador for the cause. But other teammates who aren't gay were doing the same thing. And I think if you went down the roster of Phoenix Rising, Probably every single one of those guys have probably made a statement in PSA saying, like, we do not, we are against this. We do not support this. But then you have to remember that in your everyday run of life, it has to become part of your DNA and the fabric of who you are as a being. And if then in, in the thick of it, on the field, in the competition, in the heat of the moment, that slur comes out of your mouth, that has just erased anything you've ever said to the contrary, because it was clearly even the fact that it's a train of thought that it even flowed off your tongue in that moment. I don't care if it was the heat of the moment. If you didn't feel that way, if you didn't think that way, if you never even had that word in your in your mind, in your vocabulary, it wouldn't come off your tongue at that moment. And it wouldn't be part of what what you would even think to say. And I've always felt that way. You know, people use words um, that are demeaning to other groups, but they just use them as a derogatory mm. adjective, you know. And I've always couldn't could not stand that. No matter what it is, if you're talking about people with mental illness, if you're talking about people that are gay, if you're talking about people, you know, from a racial aspect, um, an ethnicity standpoint, 
you just cut it out, cut it out of your everyday life vocabulary. It shouldn't be a part of anything, not the game, not any aspect of life. It just, it shouldn't even be rolling off your tongue. And it'll be interesting to see not only what the USL does, but even more importantly to me, what Phoenix Rising comes back out and says, because you can always get punished from a higher up. But what are you doing within your own organization at yes. the ground level to fix those things and try to make those wrongs right and try to send a message to your club, to your team, to your staff that this is not acceptable? That, to me, is going to be also very, very important to watch. Yeah, it was just um, a really grotesque moment. And, um, look, <laughs> we... Uh, you know, I, I have no idea if Colin Martin ever listens to this, but uh, you know what I mean? Look, um, we, we are with you, Colin Martin, my words, and uh, there is simply no room for, for anything of the sort. And um, let's hope it doesn't happen again. Uh, let's move on, shall we, Kendra? Um, some headlines around the world of Major League Soccer before we talk about FC Cincinnati. Um, one that caught our eye the other day was the return of Roman Torres to the Seattle Sounders. And it seems as though Brian Schmetzer is... Doing his best to get the band back together, is he not? Yeah, it is. It's, you know, I mean, life works in mysterious ways in the football life, I think, even more so. But um, first of all, with Roman Torres, I mean, I think he's a formidable, solid piece in the, the center back role for any club. And uh, I think his game has probably slowed a little bit, but he is such a personality. He is such a presence. He is a force on the pitch, off the pitch, in the locker room, a f sense of familiarity, a sense of chemistry. Uh, it'll be a sense of coming home for him, even like it was for Brad Smith, even though, you know, he's not even from here. And obviously even Roman Torres isn't either, but he's been here a lot longer. Um, so I, I do think Schmetzer is kind of going back with what he knows works and what's familiar to him, what's familiar to his midfield, what's mm. familiar to his outside mids, what's familiar to his attacking players, even though Rui Diaz is newer in the mix the last couple years. I think that there is absolutely something to be said for just a familiarity, a confidence. I mean, talk about Stefan Fry. How do you think he's going to feel about having some sense of uh, continuity in, in front of him in that role? So, yeah, I mean, Schmetzer's a smart man. That front office, there's, you know, they've got their wits about him. I'm sure they thought long and hard about bringing him back and making that move. Um, it might have been a little bit less obvious of a choice than bringing Brad Smith back, for you know, for example. But yeah, and they're uh, already flying high and and continue to make some additions. And their midfield and their attacking pieces are clicking. And everybody think you know everybody's got it going on in Seattle. So we'll see what um, Roman Torres does and how he contributes. And I'm sure there will be a, a comfort level going back there. Yeah, really interested to see what happens. And I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there, Kay, in, in the sense that. Um, Brian Schmetzer is simply bringing back the players he knows that works because obviously last year was a very successful successful <laughs> season for, for Seattle Sounders. So, um, you know, fair play to Brian Schmetzer, um, who, uh, who was obviously working wonders in Seattle. Um, okay, so next up for Minnesota United, FC Cincinnati. Um, I think it's safe to say not had the best time since coming into Major League Soccer, with all due respect. They have tried different players. They have tried different formations. They've tried different coaches. Nothing seems to have worked at the moment. What I'll say about this, I think let's let's give Yapstam some time because 
these aren't really his players. He's not had a, ch- a massive chance to bring in a lot of um, a lot of the players. I'm sure he wants to. Um, they have some talents. I'm a fan of Lurgan, of Jurgen Lukadia. Saw him play for PSV Eindhoven five or six years ago and, and thought he was brilliant. Um, they have uh, Kubo, obviously uh, Yuya Kubo, who, who can can cause some damage. Although I don't think he's been anywhere near as effective as as they thought. Um, they they have some pieces, Kendra, but it's just one win in nine, and it's just two goals scored in that last nine games. That is eyebrow raising to say the least. I think. Um, when you look at some of their results, I think at one stage it was three nil-nil draws out of out of four games at one stage. So one would suggest that perhaps they've gotten better from a defensive point of view, but we're, we're saying this after they've just been thumped four nil by NYCFC. Um, I don't think I'm being too harsh in saying this, Kendra. At home, at Allianz Field, this is a game that Minnesota United should win and should win comfortably. Should win, need to win. And it needs to be multiple goals, and it doesn't need to be a shutout. I mean, that that would be my standard. If I'm Adrian Heath and I'm going into the locker room, that's my game plan for the week. This is a team, as you've said, eight goals scored the entire season, four assists. I mean, there's they've had nine wins in 48 games dating back to 2019. So this isn't, yes, I agree with you 100%. Give Yap Stom some time. Mm. These aren't his guys. He came over in a crazy 2020 <laughs> where he, you know, had to quarantine. He couldn't get here. You have limited access to the players even prior to that. Um, you're doing video Zoom calls for introductions. And you get thrown into MLS's back in Orlando. Um, and, I mean, it's a you-know-what storm right from the get-go for him. And then you saw the body language from that very first game. In Orlando, I mean, holy cow, one goal in of giving up, and they were, like, dejected. No one wanted to be out there. A leader like a Kendall Waston just looked deflated. His shoulders just sunk. I mean, this is a guy who is used to being able to at least compete, right? Kendall Waston, your center back. I mean, he's – and now he's in a position on a team where you're trying to be the upbeat, positive leader, but you are getting crushed in every facet of the game. Your defense, you know – for large stretches had been getting scored on and just being picked apart. Your midfield and your offense can't score and can't keep the ball. So you're constantly under pressure. And now you have another new head coach with more turmoil with the coaching change. So I, I think that to be fair, you've got to give Yapstam time. You've got to give this roster time. We saw some moments even during MLS's back where you're like, wow, who's this team? You know, Frankie Maya has had some decent play at times, but then there's times where he just makes, as a young player, still makes really poor decisions where he just dribbles into a crowd of people instead of pay, playing the ball and paying it. They have brought in some talented play, players. Lacadia, I mean, you look at his resume again, he should be able to light the world on fire coming over here, but you still have to put it together as a group and they haven't figured it out. And I think when there's just so much negativity and a dejected feeling in the club that it, it's hard to turn it around. Winning solves a lot of things, but at some point you've got to string the wins together. And the defense can only pick up the offense for so long. And you just talked about it. The defense hasn't been that poor. They've had a ton of draws. But then you go and you allow four goals, but your offense still isn't scoring. The offense needs to pick up the defense. It has to be a, 
a, you know, a rhythm and a, a team effort. Um, and you feel for them because Minnesota United in 27 and 20, 2017 and 2018 was a difficult challenge. It was a difficult watch. It was difficult to call those games. And I'm sure as heck sure it was probably difficult to play in them and to find yourself a way to get up for every game, for every training session, for every team meeting, for every road trip. So this is absolutely a trap game for Minnesota <laughs> United. And I say that because, again, we talk about this league and the craziness of it. And go back to the opening of Allianz Field. NYCFC, we were talking about Dome Trend being fired. They couldn't score a goal. They were awful. And you end up with this crazy 3-3 game, I believe, was what the final was. And it was Allianz Field, the opening you're going, we should crush this NYCFC team, but they want to come in here and play spoiler and turn it around. I mean, this, yes, FC Cincinnati, this is a game that you should put multiple goals up on, take advantage of this downtrodden team who is mentally not in a good place right now and frustrated, clearly. You can see it with the team on the, on the pitch and not allow any goals. You want a shutout and you want three or four goals from your attacking pieces, which we know they're capable of. And we'll see if Kevin Molino's back in the mix. That is what you need to see. That is what the standard should be. That is where the bar should be set. And if you're the captain of this team, if you're the any player on this team, that should be how you're prepping all week long. You don't take them lightly, but you definitely step on them when they're down. And this is, this is a big one. Big one at Allianz Field. FC Cincinnati against NYCFC went with a 5-3-2 formation. Um, obviously expecting an onslaught of some sort. There were mistakes immediately. They went behind inside 30 seconds, I believe. Um, I would expect, Kendra, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, but I would expect them to adopt a similar approach from a, a lineup point of view coming into Allianz Field where I think if you offer them a point now they would gladly take it a hundred percent I mean they are just trying to we knows winning we know winning cures a lot and they don't even need a draw at this point they need a win they've had a lot of draws they need a win they need to get off the schneid and that is exactly what FC Cincinnati will do they will try to get out on the counter I mean even saying there were two up top might be nice right. they were nearly a 5-4-1 in that game against them because they were under pressure from the first step. I mean, they, they NYCFC smelled blood in the water. They got the goal 30 some seconds, 30 seconds in, as you said, fastest goal in club history for NYCFC. And they smelled blood in the water and there was confusion on the part. Now, to be fair, there were a couple of chances by FC Cincinnati in the first half that could have changed the game. Amaya had nearly a wide open chance on a terrible turnover by NYCFC. It's those little moments that FC Cincinnati is going to try to hang on to. And it's those kind of moments that Minnesota United cannot allow. Because good teams, great teams, just about any team in any league will finish the chance that Frankie Maya missed. They will punish you for turning the ball over in those situations. So Minnesota has to be sharp. They've got to make sure that they're weathering the storm. They have to find a way creatively to break down that block that's going to be sitting there for FC Cincinnati, take advantage of some of the spaces on the outside, which we saw NYCFC do quite a few times with the wing play, um, kind of draw the, the the two outside wing backs in that 5-3-2 out of position and, and allow to get in behind. You saw some really solid play up the middle of the 
of the park um, as well. And that's what they're going to have to do. And they're going to have to weather the storm, break down the block, be creative in the final third, not let anything happen on the counter, and do not turn the ball over at midfield because FC Cincinnati does have talent in the middle of the pitch that could make you pay. And um, it is going to be, a, it's going to be a tough game for the loons. I'm not, this is not a walk in the park because of the circumstances. And you know that everybody's counting FC Cincinnati out. I think some teams probably took them lightly in the MLS's back tournament after that first loss. They got crushed in that first game. Was it against Portland? Columbus. They got crushed by Columbus. I mean, embarrassingly crushed. And Yapstam, I was like, maybe he wishes that they hired the guy in the picture that they tweeted out as the wrong <laughs> head coach because it was that kind of game. And um, they know that everyone's talking about him that way, but then they kind of bounced back in that tournament. So let's hope this game isn't a bounce-back game for FC Cincinnati because anything can happen in this league. Yes, it can, especially this year as well. Mm -hmm. um, I do get the feeling, Kendra, that they will be direct. I'm assuming Locardia will start up front and they'll look to ping the ball towards him as much as they can and, and, and be as direct as they can and, as we said, have that uh, five-man back line. Um, I agree with you in the sense that I, I don't think it's going to be as easy as people are perhaps suggesting. I think there will be... Um, obvious frustrations again I think Minnesota will eventually break through several times but I think they're going to have to really work for it because Cincinnati as we said I think will be happy coming here and claiming a point they are going to be majorly defensive minded in my opinion but I think it because I feel like we're still waiting for that game this season for Minnesota when they do go and thump somebody you know four or five nil you know maybe that is the game on Saturday but the point is here is that this is a game that they really should win it is. They they should win. They need to win. It's at home. It's against a struggling FC Cincinnati team. And I think the way you're going to break down that block, that low block, and that defensive shape for FC Cincinnati, and Minnesota is always at their best when they're moving the ball quickly. And you see the one-two touch, the pinging, the quick one-time switch field, the ping across, the overlapping run by Roma Metzenaire, whoever it might be, the, the faster they move the ball and there's movement off the ball, the better they are in the attacking third. And to break down that low block, it's going to take some smart runs in behind. It's going to take some intelligent, well-timed um, through balls, which you, we know Reynoso is capable of. And um, it's going to take uh, just I, – I don't want to see a ton of patience with passing around the 18. You know, that, that spot, that sweet spot where you can get stuck if you're an offense of that arc – kind of passing it in and around the 18, 25, 30 yards out, and that defense is just stuck in there. And it's so hard to break down once they can establish themselves. It's got to be on the transition. It's got to be quick. You're going to rely on your midfield to get the offense going, the overlapping runs on the outside. You know, if it's hold-up play from Kai and then he drops it off to someone underneath, and then you go. But it's got to be with pace and quick one-two touch, I think, to break this kind of a low block down. Okay. Thank you, as always, to Kendra D. St. Alban and to our producer, Morgan Lubin. And thanks to you at home for listening as well. You can catch Minnesota United taking on FC Cincinnati from Allianz Field, 6.30pm on Fox Sports North. We'll also take the opportunity to tell you all of the remaining Minnesota United games broadcast on Fox Sports North and on our radio partner, Score North, as well. Looking forward to your company. We'll see you Saturday, 6.30pm, Fox Sports North.